0: Hi, everybody. Now, before we get into this episode, I have to address something very important and very exciting that happened to us very recently. If you're coming from the blog post about this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. This past Saturday, Bavarian Podcast Works hit a total of 150,000 downloads for our entire time existing as a podcast. Uh, It's our third 50,000 download milestone. This one is the quickest we've ever hit. It only took us 177 days to go from 100,000 to 150,000. And during that time was really some of the bulk worst parts of the pandemic. So I need to just go ahead and give out some thank yous, as I almost always do for this. So thank you as always to... My co-hosts, Chuck and Tom, who you will hear from later, my parents, my professors, of course. Thank you to the people at FC Bayern US, specifically Edgar Acero and Richie O'Reilly for their help and their support. Also, most importantly, I guess, I want to thank the guests that I've brought on because during the middle part between 100,000 and 150,000, As I mentioned, it was the bulk of the pandemic. Things were slowly restarting for soccer, and of course we had our success in the Champions League. So there are a number of people that we brought onto the podcast between May and now that I have to thank. uh, First off, Ian Paul Joy. Thank you for coming on and talking with us about Der Klassiker. And then every guest we brought on after that had to do with the... Uh, UEFA Champions League. So thank you to Andre Carlyle of We Ain't Got No History, Josh Sutter of Barca Blaugranas. Thank you to Julien Laurence talking to us about Olympique Lyon. And of course, thank you to Jimmy Conrad for coming on and talking with us about the UEFA Champions League final. And then I would be remiss if I did not mentioned the fantastic Luis Miguel Echegaray for coming on and talking with us about the preview for the Champions League group stage. Guys, this was something I never expected. Uh, Not only the pandemic, but being able to hit this milestone with this podcast. And it's all thanks to you. This is a great, very, very early Christmas present for me. So out there, I just hope you all are staying safe, you're staying healthy, you're staying as happy as you possibly can, and we will try to do the same and pump out as much quality content as we can. So thank you all again. Enjoy.
1: Hi, I'm Raphael Honigstein, and you're listening to the Bavarian Podcast Works. (laughs)
0: Hello and welcome into a nice quick little recap of the game against Borussia Dortmund right before Bayern Munich goes on an international break for a little while. We will not be doing anything about the three games that Germany has in the two-week international break. We will just be talking about this Dortmund game. And the reason why we mostly are doing that is because Germany have already qualified To the Nations League. It's not to say that when we get back from this break that we have, we won't be able to just talk about what's going on in the Nations League. But for us, for Germany, it's not terribly important. They're already in. And so we're just going to roll with this game that we have now. So I'm joined by Tom and Chuck. Guys, are you uh, are you ready to start this one?
1: Jake, I'm excited to talk about this game. I had a blast watching it. So this will be a lot of fun to talk to you two guys about Bayern's big win.
2: As did I, Chuck. It was a really, really fun match to watch, even from a neutral perspective. But obviously, as Bayern fans, we got the last laugh. It was was an amazing win for us. And back at the top of the table. So
0: let's go ahead and do a quick recap of the scoreline. Marco Royce scoring in the 45th minute to open up the scoreline. Just four minutes later... Off of a free kick, off of a beautifully taken free kick, David Alaba curls one into the side netting to tie it up at one going into the half. Three minutes after the half, Robert Lewandowski just blasts a ball into the net past Roman Berkey, makes it two to one. And then in the 80th minute, Lewandowski again sliding Sané, a beautiful pass that he takes on his left foot, curls it past Berkey, makes it 3-1. to Holland in the 83rd minute, just three minutes after Sané scored, took this beautiful lofted through ball off of his knee, almost, it like, it's not really a dummy, but Neuer came off of his line early, as he's apt to do, and... Haaland kind of took a touch around him, made him look silly, tucked the ball underneath Neuer's outstretched arms, made it 3-2, and that's where the scoreline ended. Whether or not that's how the scoreline should have ended up, we will debate that later. But for now, guys, starting with Tom, what did you think of this game from a tactical standpoint, from a lineup standpoint, what did you think?
2: Yeah, Jake, with that last sentence you had just mentioned about the scoreline not really reflecting the game, I mean, that's exactly how I feel. I mean, anyone who watched this, especially as a Bayern fan, you have to be thinking to yourself, man, we were lucky uh, to not have been scored on more than twice. I mean, just the amount of chances in particular that Erling Holland had going forward just with, with a guy with such finishing ability, I was so shocked at how many chances he just like completely botched when he had people open in the box or if he had an open chance. Uh, and of course, the one goal he scored, I believe the, uh, the XG percentage was 31% likelihood to score off of that lob pass. I believe it was from Rafael Guerrero, who I have to admit had a fantastic game uh, down that left channel. Like <laughs> of all the chances Holland had in that game, that's the one that he buried, albeit just a consolation. But I was just shocked at the amount of chances that Dortmund created and um, Royce's goal and Holland's goal were both finally taken, but the amount of opportunities they had, I really, really thought they were going to make us pay a lot more and you know, looking at it from the Bayern perspective too, I, I know Sar has not got a lot of minutes and, and he's a new guy and it's a difficult position to to walk into, but Everything positive for Dortmund, in my opinion, especially in that first half and in the later stages of the second half, just came down that left channel through Gio Reyna, Thomas Delaney, um, Rafael Guerrero, and I just I noticed that Gnabry and Coman switched flanks at a certain point, and I think that was probably to give Sar some more cover. But yeah, I, they really had uh, you know all the options down that left channel. Should have scored probably a lot more, but you know what? our attack was on fire as well. So we came out three, two winners, perhaps a little bit lucky, but in dare classiker, that's what you're going to need sometimes.
1: Yeah. I, Tom, you hit a couple of great points there about Erling Holland. And, and in truth, I think he's Robert Lewandowski 2.0. I think he is the next generation Lewandowski. He can score just about any way. And I know, that he probably regrets some of those misses in the game. And like you said, it was kind of funny that it was his most difficult chance that he was able to convert. So I think Byron in some ways got lucky. And another great point that you made was Sar. I, I thought he was terrible. And I mean, bluntly, I don't think he's been very good at all since he's come in. And I know that, you know, it's he's a backup right back essentially. And it's not that important of a role behind Benjamin Pavard. But I mean... I still hang on to the fact that Byron really need to make that investment. Is there, you know, was there a better way to spend that money? So I don't know, Tom, I, I think you hit those points, but the the one thing that really stuck out to me was this game was about how great Robert Lewandowski is. It's about, it was really about showing he's still, he remains the best player in the world. I don't think you can even debate it at this point. Now he was only credited with one goal and one assist, but Easily could have walked away with a hat trick. It was yet another dominant performance from him. I I just come away more and more impressed every time I watch the guy play. So,
0: keep going on your point about Buenos Aires. It makes me miss Rafinha. Now, I was not a person that liked Rafinha when he played for Bayern. I just... I didn't understand why he had playing time in major games and major cup competitions, because for some reason it seemed like he would always screw up some way, somehow in a major moment. I think back to the Champions League uh, knockout stages against Real Madrid that he played in. He didn't play particularly well, but to have somebody like Rafinha on this team, I think it would make them a lot better, right? Because I think, for as much as I've ragged on Rafinha, if you ask me who's better between Bunasar and Rafinha, it's going to be Rafinha without a question, and that's coming from me, somebody that didn't necessarily like Rafinha that much. I can tell you without hesitation that Bunasar is not nearly as good as Rafinha, and I listened back to a couple of episodes Ago, I think one of our first episodes that we made for this particular season when we were all asking ourselves whether or not we would want somebody like Max Ahrens or Serginio Dest on the team. And I remember you said, Chuck, that you would prefer somebody who had more playing time in a top flight league or in a top division league and that way they could come to Bayern with that consistent playing time, that veteran ability, and have that impact on the team. You technically got what you asked for. Do you regret that?
1: I do. Uh, I still would prefer to have a veteran back there. I'm a big fan of having a veteran presence on the bench, and by no means am I criticizing how Bunasar is as a teammate. I don't think he's a very good player. If Byron was going to go that route and they were going to bring Sar in, I would have preferred they just gave the opportunity to Chris Richards, to be honest. I think Richards is is due. Uh, He has talent. He has great passing ability. Sure, he's a natural center back, but he's fast. He's got great vision. And in the few times he's had to play that role at, at right back, he's done really well. So, yeah, you know, when looking back at it, I still would prefer a veteran, but I wanted the right veteran. And clearly, at least as of now, SAR has not been that right veteran. I would have rather seen Chris Richards get that chance.
2: Yeah, Chuck, I agree. And uh, what was it? I believe it was against Hertha Berlin where Chris Richards got the start uh, and had to come off midway through the second half with the uh, what was cramp. I was really impressed with what I saw from him, especially – you know, having not gotten that opportunity ever before. Um, and I think he would have been someone that would have fared phenomenally well against Dortmund, especially with his pace, uh, you know, his guile and and his uh, understanding of of where to be his tactical awareness. And, you know, just tying that point back to Juan I know we had a bit of transfer poker with uh, Aarons and Serginio Dest. We all know what wound up happening with Destin. You know, we had written that piece about a month ago about Hassan Salihamidzic and uh, the front office talking about how you know you need to have in the transfer market your team A, your team B, C, D, so on and so forth, as far as the transfers you're going to go after. And uh, obviously, SAR would not have probably been on team A or B or perhaps even C. And I'm just wondering if uh, Chuck, as you mentioned, and Jake, as you were speaking about, if in any of those teams A through you know whatever letter of the alphabet, however far back you want to go. How many guys, uh, Jake, as you were talking about, uh, like Rafinha, as far as experience and veteran veteranship? How many guys were in there that were possibly a target? You know, we might not ever know, but I would have liked to have seen someone more akin to Rafinha than uh, a Buonasar. Granted, I don't watch don't watch much league. Gun,
0: and I'll also say, like, to give some benefit of the doubt to Buonasar, it's only two games that he's really played in and got significant playing time in so far for now it's not looking that great but hopefully he can turn it around and he can make some sense as to why people thought he was worth eight plus million euro which I mean looking at it now it's almost kind of confusing as to why Bayern bought him as opposed to loaning with an option to buy, but then again, at 28 years old, you're not going to send a guy out on loan. But let's go ahead and talk about the elephant in the room. Robert Lewandowski's first goal should have counted. His knee was offside, and that was the only thing really preventing him from getting that goal. And We haven't really had the debate about the offside rule here, so I guess now is a great time to have it, especially seeing as the last match day for both the Bundesliga and for the Premier League both had major offside decisions reflecting scorelines. Now, for Bayern, that necessarily didn't have as big of an impact as... Uh, as we thought it might have, right? Byron ended up winning the game. It was really just the difference between a 3-2 win and a 4-2 win. But also just to say, that Lewandowski goal was beautiful. It was fantastic. It's bread and butter like he normally uh, picks those balls up in the middle of the box. Like, that was fine, right? The other decision that I was talking about was a effort from uh, Leeds United striker Patrick Bamford that was ruled out offside narrowly back in the middle of a very close game at the time against Crystal Palace that ended up becoming a 4-1 loss. So instead of just talking about how I wish we had that Lewandowski goal back, let's just turn this into a debate about the offside rule and what we think should be the letter of the law, what we think shouldn't be the letter of the law. And here's why I personally think we should talk about this. It's because for years, fans in England have been advocating to get rid of VAR, when in reality, VAR is helpful. It's incredibly helpful. It's for moments you wish you had VAR, like, you know... Maybe a semi-final against Real Madrid where Cristiano Ronaldo scores two blatantly offside goals and sends Bayern Munich packing, right? For those moments, you want VAR, right? Now, when I say blatantly offside, I'm talking Cristiano Ronaldo's—of course, I don't need to rehash it to you guys, but blatantly offside to me was Cristiano Ronaldo's torso and legs were completely beyond the last defender, right? That is offside. Patrick Bamford's offside, for those that weren't aware, his torso was in line with the last defender, but he was pointing his hand and f- and arm ahead to where he wanted the ball, not impeding anyway, not gaining an advantage, it wasn't like his arm was wrapped around the last defender, no, he was simply pointing ahead where he wanted the ball and that was the reason why it was called offside. To me, that's ridiculous, and that's insane. Lewandowski's was tight. By the letter of the law, yes, he was offside. But in reality, his knee was like an inch or two ahead of the knee of the last defender. To me, that's not offside. I would say if an entire person's like leg, if, an ent- if most of a limb is offside that that has a direct impact on somebody scoring a goal right you can't score your goal with an arm right so I don't think Bamford's goal should have been called offside because you can't score with your arm you can score with your legs though so if Bamford's whole leg was ahead of the last defender then yeah that's blatantly offside but to call goals Based on whether or not a person's body part is a head, as opposed to whether or not it was a body part that could be used to score, I think that should be a good idea to start where the line should be drawn. Uh, let's hear what you guys think. I'll start with Chuck.
1: Jake, I think you make a good point about that, and and you know I always go back to this. You know, does it impact? the play and and bamford was a, a very good example of a body part that is not even allowed to impact or affect the play so yeah i think that I, you know i really understand why the rule is the way it is and you know it, it is a line in the sand if anything is is you know any body part is over that line then it's offside and i do get that but, you know, it goes back to the old letter of the law, spirit of the law kind of debate. And I just think if, if it's not impactful, if it doesn't give a strategic advantage to the player uh, that is going offside, then it really, you know, I think common sense should prevail.
2: For me, I kind of break this into two parts. So obviously we spend a lot of time watching the Bundesliga we have statistics where every half of every game, top speeds are calculated, uh, XG is calculated. As we were talking about Haaland scoring the goal, he had the least likelihood uh, to convert. So for me, especially in a league like the Bundesliga, as you guys both mentioned, the letter by the letter of the law, all of those goals were offside. Uh, Lewandowski's two, uh, Patrick Banford's one, even though, yes, it was the upper part of his arm, which I guess technically in the Premier League for the handball... Uh, rule is a part of the body that he can score with. So he was offside. As Jake mentioned, it was a beautiful play. He's literally pointing, you know, striker's instinct to where he wants that ball played. It was played there. Beautiful chip. Should have been a goal. I had him in my fantasy team, so I was obviously a little peeved that that goal didn't stand, and I'm also not a big Crystal Palace fan whatsoever. So, um, you know, that's neither here nor there. But for me, there should be, with the technology that they have, if you're calculating XG, and those top speeds, can we not uh, get some sort of technology that would calculate the speed that the striker is going at and take into a law of momentum? You know, because as Jake mentioned, Lewandowski, was maybe, you know, a, a slight piece of Lewandowski's left kneecap that was offside in the first goal. Beautiful. If there's ever a Dare Classicer goal, that's it are on the break. Gnabry gets the ball in space. Plays a beautifully timed cross. Lewandowski comes sliding in bottom right corner. And it's literally millimeters. So I think there should be a way for uh, you know, VAR to kind of calculate the speed. Uh, this may be a little far-fetched. I'm not sure if you guys share this thought or if you're thinking, you know, what the hell is Tom talking about? He's absolutely crazy. Um, but uh, there's got to be a way where they can they can take that into account and just add Leeway for the momentum of the striker, uh, or you know at least the speed that the defenders and the attacker are, are moving at, because it is impossible to change the way that strikers play the game or whoever you know to play the game and to kind of constantly check for those millimeters and, and those little spaces, because you know that's just like not nothing about that is is natural human law. You know it's, that's just not going to happen ever. Um, so maybe that's a that's a possibility, and then with the handball thing. My team, it also affected Liverpool this weekend. Thankfully, Joe Gomez's handball, even though it was tucked right in by his side, Kevin De Bruyne missed the following penalty. That's a collector's item. That almost never happens. Uh, Separately, I think the handball rule should be uh, reassessed as well because the whole argument between natural and unnatural position, it seems like every week we're sitting here having this conversation. What's natural? What isn't natural? You know, so I think that needs to be really hashed out, and the interpretation amongst referees has to be exactly the same just so that we can get some consistency because, yeah, VAR, it is just a fickle, fickle you-know-what.
0: Yeah, let's let's move on to one extra point that we have to talk about in this. It's uh, the injury to Joshua Kimmich. Um, it's a terrible injury. Uh remind me because i don't remember exactly i know it's a meniscus injury was it a tear or was it a strain
1: it was a tear jake and uh Kimick underwent surgery and he is uh feeling better he obviously had a nice instagram post kind of detailing uh you know that he feels good and he was kind of poking some su- some fun at himself because he felt like his calves got a little smaller so uh, he's got approximately three months of uh, being out of action in front of him. So I'm sure that will drive him crazy, given how, in, how intense he is. But, uh, you know, if, if anybody was ever more equipped to deal with an arduous rehab, I mean, it's Joshua Kimmich. He is, I'm sure, going to attack this like he does anything else.
2: Goretzka's got to get him on a solid leg day plan because, Chuck, you know, you never skip leg day, right?
1: Uh, absolutely not, Tom.
2: Gotta train the wheels, always.
1: Uh, So
0: let's also just generally talk about his replacement. It's most likely going to be Quarantan Tolisso. We saw a good pairing, a decent performance between him and Leon Goretzka. Are you confident in those two going forward for the next couple of months, or do you think that Bayern should go out and reassess whether or not they need to get a new defensive midfielder.
1: Jake, I I am someone who considers Kimmich the corners or the keystone of of Bayern's squad. I mean, he holds everything together. So missing him, it's it's virtually impossible to replace everything that he does. I'm a huge Goretzka fan. I think he is going to be able to pick up some of that slack. But it's very interesting in thinking about who is going to compliment Goretzka in that midfield. You have a lot of options on this team. I mean, you have Tolisso, like you said. You have Mark Rocha. You have uh, Tange Nianzu coming back. You have Javi Martinez. Uh, You've got options, and you've got different styles of players. The one thing that I think Hansi Flick is going to have to explore is, you know, does he want to feature two box-to-box type midfielders like Tolisso and Goretzka, Or does he want to complement Goretzka with someone like Martinez or Nianzu or Roca, guys that are more defensive-oriented, that are more likely to sit back and help distribute? I think Flick is going to play this by year, week to week, and he's going to look at the opposition and he's going to think about what works best. I mean, it is kind of scary to think about how Goretzka and Tolisso together, it's scary to think about how good offensively the team could be, but it's also scary to think about... How much of a gap they could leave in that midfield if both players advance too far upfield. So I think this one's going to be on Hansi Flick. I think we're going to get a mix of Taliso and, and those three aforementioned defensive midfielders.
2: Yeah, Chuck pretty much hit everything. Um, you know, while Kimmich is probably one of the most important players in the team, we have the options to cope. Uh, I'm not nervous at all. I think that. Tolisso has those Atletico Madrid performances in him. I think we're going to get them from him. And one thing I'll say, what the reservations I have about Tolisso, uh, all of the confidence that I have in Goretzka completely makes up for it. I can easily see Goretzka accepting a more defensive role um, and letting Tolisso roam a bit more forward. Because Goretzka, for me, is a kind of guy who will do it all, uh, and he does it all. He's everywhere on the pitch. You know his heat maps. I think. Um, personally that's what I would do if I was Hansi Flick, but there's a reason I'm Tom and he's Hansi Flick. He's going to get those decisions right. Perhaps we will see Roca come into the into the fray for the first time since the DFB Pokal against Duran. So, the options are there and even Alaba could even move to midfield. I mean, hell, we might even see that because we know that he wants to do that. But um, you know, it, it, conservatively, I don't think that would be the first option um you know so i see no issues with that dual pivot of Taliso and Goretzka
1: Tom you're that's a great point you make about Alaba he he you know he's been pining for a spot in the midfield and this is a good opportunity to maybe give him some run there but you're also 100% right about Goretzka i think he's a player who we've looked at over the years as kind of being more offensive minded but i think he has uh grown litter- literally and figuratively into a role that could easily see him play more defensive. I mean, he's got the strength. He's got the speed. He's got the vision. I know he's not always as active in the defensive end as, as many Bayern fans would like, but I think he could make that adjustment and, and really expand his game. If he can prove that he could fill that role, I think it's not only going to be great for the team, but it's going to be great for his career overall. I mean, he is a guy who I think is, is, is a bit underrated globally. So, This might be a good opportunity for some fans who aren't quite as familiar with his overall game to get a good look at him.
2: 100%. I feel like he's a guy he would not care if he doesn't get a goal or an assist the rest of the season. If he does the right things for his team and he's in the right places for Bayern, uh, that will 100% be good enough for him, and that's the kind of player I love to see.
0: So I initially said at the beginning of this episode that we were not going to talk about any of the international break, but that's specifically because of what Germany is doing. But I looked at the dates. There are four games of incredible importance to the German national team, but also to the rest of the upcoming Euros. It is the finals of the Euro 2020, basically now the Euro 2021 playoffs they are taking place this Thursday there are f- there are eight teams four games they are incredibly important they are nations with rich histories uh, some richer than others in football uh and Tom you and I are probably both and maybe even Chuck because I just don't generally know your heritage we are going to be very particular about one of these matches. So let's start off with the first one. Path A is the path that will lead to a team getting put in Group F with Portugal, France, and Germany. That match is Hungary versus Iceland. Now, Hungary, after finishing fourth place in the 1972 Euros, did not qualify for one up until 2016. Iceland never qualified for a major tournament up until 2016. They leveraged that into a 2018 World Cup game. So let's just go on this format from now on. Those are the two teams. Those are their records. Who do you have as favorites? Not necessarily a scoreline, but who do you think is going to win this game, guys?
1: Uh, t- Jake, I will go with Iceland in this one as much as I like Dominic Shabasloy with Hungary. Uh, I think he's an excellent talent, but I'm going to go with the Vikings on this one, Jake.
2: I I do actually know, I don't know how I remember this, but I know that the Icelandic national team has uh, for the past couple international breaks been dealing with a lot of injuries. Uh, but I will say one of my fondest memories from the 2018 World Cup Uh, is when Messi missed the PK against Iceland. And if you want to have a laugh, go listen to the Icelandic commentator calling that moment. It's probably the funniest thing you'll ever hear and remember from that World Cup. So for that reason, I would love me some Icelandic punditry at the European Championships this summer. Let's go, Iceland.
1: Yeah. And, you know, Tom, Iceland is such a good story. I mean, for anyone that doesn't know it, I I really suggest you go back and read up on it. Just everything from how, you know, the limited population they have and how they work with it and how they develop players. It's really fascinating. Spend a little time and and read up on that. And I, I guarantee you will enjoy what you read. I'll
2: never root for Gilfie Sigurdsson in an Everton shirt. Ever. Never, ever, ever. But when he's in an Iceland blue kit then that that's okay I can a little bit of wiggle room there.
0: I want to say Hungary but Chuck is right. Iceland are such a good story. Um, and this was really the tournament that made them a major player in the national team stage like arena. I want them to do well again. I want them to go better than the quarterfinals. I want them to go to the finals. I hope that this draw sets up well for them. Unfortunately. Actually, you know what? I'm going to go back. I want to say Hungary because I don't think Iceland will make it out of the group. Keeping in mind, right? Like, we both, we all love Iceland. Iceland is a great story. They would have to be one of the top two teams to advance to the knockout stage in a group including Portugal, France, and Germany. I don't think that's going to happen. And for that reason, I'm going to pick Hungary because I just want to see Dominic Szoboszlai on the stage. I want to see Vili Orban captain that team. I want to see them do well uh, enough so that they can make it. I think that Iceland would have been served a lot better going into any other group and for that reason I am picking Hungary because I want at least one cupcake game for this German national team in order to Wait make a it second, to the next
1: Jake. Round. Wait a second here. Now, Jake, you more than anyone want Yogi Love out the door. So, a loss to Iceland or Hungary I mean, that would really help expedite it. So maybe you should take a look at your line of thinking and, and think about how Iceland or Hungary who might be best equipped to make that happen for you, Jake?
0: Here's the thing, and this is my backup reasoning behind that. What do you think is more embarrassing? A loss to Iceland or a loss to Hungary?
1: Ooh, that's that's tough. I mean, they both would they both would be an embarrassment for uh Yogi Love, but Uh, I I guess more embarrassing would, would probably be Iceland. I think just because Hungary does have a couple of really star quality players. I I really think Subasso is going to establish himself as one of the premier young talents in the game. And you brought up Willie Orban. I mean, that is a, a solid defender, someone who can really stabilize a back line, uh, I still think because of the way Iceland's viewed, I mean, whatever their small population is to lose to them is still the equivalent of like, you know, Alabama losing a college football game to, you know, Newman University where I went. So, um, you know, I I honestly think Iceland carries a little more weight in hopefully getting uh, Yogi out the door.
2: Chuck, we could also see some uh, hair conspiracies, right? I think it was you back You had tweeted something funny about uh, Petr Gulashi all of a sudden showing up for a match for Leipzig with hair (laughs) all of a sudden.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jake, when you mentioned Billy Orban, it reminded me because, you
2: know, (laughs) Leipzig teammates, and I was like, you know what? If Gulashi makes it to the Euros, he's going to have some – I mean, he's going to have hair like Fellaini. Hell, I mean, (laughs) if he makes it that far, we're going to see Petr Gulashi with with Fellaini hair and not the cornrows. Not the cornrows. (laughs)
1: If he came out with some like Fabio do, that would I would automatically I would rip oh, my no. Iceland shirt off and I would I would paint the Hungary flag on my back. Tom, that's what Chuck I would, would just if move would to Glossy Hungary. Comes out with some okay. lust, like really luscious mane of hair. I would be all over that. One
2: hundred percent too on board with you there.
1: Allow
0: me to just say this right in the current FIFA Coca Cola World Rankings, Germany is fourteenth, Iceland are 39th. Hungary are 47th, so if those rankings hold, I think a loss to Hungary would be worse than a loss to Iceland, because yes, Iceland is small, but they are good. They have been a better team over the last... Five years than Hungary has. I think we can all agree on that. So to me, it would be infinitely more embarrassing if you lost to Hungary. I think that team is not nearly as well set up as Iceland is. I think that in a normal situation, we could also look at uh, where the game was being played as a factor into this. This is being played in Budapest. But there's probably not going to be many fans there. Uh, Hopefully, there's not many fans there. Hopefully, their government is keeping everything in place and they're not letting so many people in. But I think in normal circumstances, we would have had to look at that as well. But let's go ahead and move on to the next game in the uh, qualifiers. It is Northern Ireland versus Slovakia. In Belfast, Northern Ireland qualified for the 2016 uh, Euros for the first time in their history. They never made it to the tournament beforehand. They had only made it to the World Cup three times, the last time being 1986. Slovakia, they qualified before as Czechoslovakia. But they didn't qualify as an independent nation until 2016 either. They qualified for the 2010 World Cup, but somehow missed out on the 2008 and 2012 versions of the Euros. So, let's think. We all love Will Grigg. Will Grigg is on fire, and everyone's defense will always be terrified. But Slovakia... They're also still a pretty good team. Marik Hamasik is kicking around. This game's in Belfast, but I don't think that's going to matter seeing as the UK is on a lockdown currently. I guess this one's a little bit harder to predict. It's not the hardest game to predict because that one is dead last. But this team, uh, the winner of this one, moving on to Group E alongside Spain, Sweden, and Poland. Who do we have?
1: This is a tough one, Jake. Uh, You know, I I think I'm going to go with Northern Ireland, Ireland, and only because, Jake, I believe when you were doing your uh, uh, Bavarian FIFA works, they might have offered you an international job. So I think I'm going to go with them strictly on that.
0: Northern Ireland is pretty much the first country (laughs) that will ever offer you a national team gig. In any edition of FIFA that you do, I I always reject Northern (laughs) Ireland right off the bat just because they they don't have the dynamic uh, bench that, say, even Russia would have. The best part about that is your first job offer is going to be, like, Northern Ireland, but if you wait five or six, like, job offers, it'll be, like, England, Brazil, or, like... France or something like that I think I got Italy a couple of times but yeah Northern Ireland's always a good team I'm also going to go with Northern Ireland in fairness I don't I don't think that uh I don't think that there's anything wrong with going with Northern Ireland at all Tom what do you think
2: have to pay my respects to Martin Skirtle as a Liverpool fan gave so many devout years to us but as you mentioned Euro 2016 Will, Grigg on, Will Griggs on Will Greg's on fire. That tune, anybody's name fits to that tune, and it's hilarious that that was the player they chose to make a song about. Euro uh, defense is terrified. Da na 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 Like every team has a has a song about a player that doesn't play as much, and it's just hilarious. And the Irish fans at you know, the Euros in France in 2016 were probably the greatest thing ever. You know, singing lullabies to babies on the metros, uh, singing their praises for the French police. Uh, singing about uh, cleaning up after themselves while they were cleaning up. Um, So I I just can't not root for them. And I also, um, you know, everyone likes the lead story after seeing that documentary, Marcelo Bielsa. Um, I'm a big fan of Stuart Dallas. I think he's a big part of that Northern Irish team um, in that right back spot. So uh, I would love to see them back at another major international tournament and go up against the big guns in the group, as you had mentioned, Jake.
0: The next playoff, this is it. This is this is the one that I'm really going to be keeping an eye on, right? Serbia plays host to Scotland. This is going to be a great game. It's going to be a fantastic game. It's going to be in Belgrade. Uh, Scotland have not qualified for a tournament since the 1998 FIFA World Cup. In France, they did actually pretty well for themselves. The last Euro they qualified for was the ninety six World C- or the ninety six Euros in England. They finished second in their group. Now, they also play a very good Serbia team. Uh, they've never qualified for a Euros before uh, as an independent nation. At least they've qualified as Yugoslavia. They did not qualify as Serbia and Montenegro they have not qualified as their own individual nation either. So guys, who are we going for? Who are we thinking?
1: I am a a big fan of Scotland for a lot of reasons. Uh, groundskeeper Willie, not the, not the least of them, but I'm going to go with Serbia here, Jake. I think their rosters a little deeper, a little more dangerous. I like Philip Kostic. I like Luka Jovic. Uh, I like my guy uh, Mijat Gasenovic. I always enjoy him. He's got a flair. So, I think Serbia actually has a lot of talent. I think they're pretty deep. And uh, you know, as much as I like the Scots, I think they're they're fighting an uphill battle in this one.
2: No, Jake, if the if the Scots go through, they can wind up in the group with England, correct? In the actual tournament itself.
0: That's going to be something that I wanted to touch on because both of oh, these Oh, I teams... spoiled it. Have memes attached to their um attached to their groups the if I'm... Scotland advance they play England if Serbia advance they play Croatia,
1: oh man, oh my oh <laughs> both my.
0: of those are intense outcomes those are ridiculous <laughs> outcomes. I – it's it's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting. I mean,
2: completely unbiased because I have no connection to this whatsoever. It'd be fantastic to see Jordan Henderson and Andy Robertson uh, go up against one another. I have no idea why that came to my head, you know. <laughs> wink, wink, but – You know, especially thinking of guys like Derek Ray and and Craig Burley and all the disappointment that the Scots have had to endure from a footballing standpoint for the, the past couple of decades. I would love to see them in the major tournament and go up against England. That would be perhaps the tastiest of encounters in a big tournament, even better than Wales, England in 2016
1: it's almost too uh politically charged to have <laughs> the outcome of this game uh, it is pretty fascinating jake that's a great point that you brought up i'm gonna stick with the Serbs, though uh
0: i love sergey Savic. savage he's one of my favorite names in all of football he's a fantastic midfielder i love him to death so I'm going with Scotland because for for my friends, Ian Paul Joy and Derek Ray, I absolutely have to go with Scotland. I want Scotland because keep in mind, they'll also most likely be playing their games at Wembley, which would be fantastic to see half of Wembley decked out in Tartan Army Blue and half of Wembley decked out in red and white. I, I, I can't. I can't feel comfortable having a serbia croatia game uh in any contact in any way shape or form so i'm praying that scotland make it i am hoping that scotland make it
1: it would be a lot of fun to see scotland make it i I, I, honestly it would be it would be a big treat I, i think the fans of Scotland would probably appreciate it more than the Serbian fans. And you're right, Jake, maybe this, uh, the whole Serbia, Croatia thing, maybe that's not such a good idea, but um, you know, it would be a lot of fun. I I personally know a few Scots who would, would love to have this opportunity to watch the team play at such a level. So either way, Jake, I think it's going to be a lot of fun, but uh, it might be more dangerous than fun with Serbia, Croatia.
0: Here's what I'll also add. It was really unfortunate for that Path B team, right? That result was Northern Ireland versus Slovakia. It could have been Republic of Ireland versus Northern Ireland. That would have been been fantastic. Both of those games went down to pens, though. Northern Ireland won 4-3 over Bosnia and Herzegovina on pens, 4-3. Uh, Ireland lost to Slovakia on pens four to two. Scotland reached this game by beating Israel on pens five to three. So that's fantastic in and of itself. So I'll even double down. I'll even double down. If Scotland advance, I will buy a Scotland jersey because my Scottish my Scottish ancestry dictates that I should and so therefore I will. I will root for them as my second team at the Euros if they make it because Ireland couldn't make it, Germany made it, my second team will be Scotland. They're actually, like, third or fourth in my pecking order of my actual lineage, so that makes sense to me. Uh, The final game, Georgia versus North Macedonia. We don't know a lot about either of those teams. Georgia beat Belarus in order to get here, who Germany played in their group to qualify into the Euros. North Macedonia beat Kosovo, so that's that's a tough game for them as well. Georgia have never qualified individually for the Euros or for the World Cup. Neither have Northern Macedonia. Um, this one's up to you guys, I guess. Uh... I I don't know who is going to win. Allow me to quickly check the FIFA World Rankings while you guys go ahead and oh wait. Georgia is 86th and North Macedonia is 65th. So just on those world rankings alone, I'm going with North Macedonia.
1: I'm gonna go with Georgia. I think Kirby Smart's a great Oh, sorry, the wrong Georgia. I will go with Georgia Jake just because I want to disagree with you.
2: I like it's gonna sound so nerdy, but I actually um, I pay attention. You know, I do root for Ireland and England in the uh, the qualifiers and the Euros. I have watched several matches before uh, against uh, for either England or Ireland against Macedonia or um, Ireland versus Georgia. And I would actually say I do have memories. You know, back when Rooney was still on the team, of Macedonia giving England a really difficult time. I believe it was not too many years ago. Uh, England had a red card, and they wound up drawing uh Macedonia granted this is a place where there have been uh you know when they're playing in Macedonia racial slurs chanted at some of the England players so there's a lot of off the pitch stuff that's very nasty and and disgusting but just from you know going off of those memories um i i do think and i see the world rankings kind of speak a little bit to that as well i'm just going to go with north macedonia instead of georgia
1: if not for this competition let's be honest how many people would even know of north macedonia i mean i, I i'm going to be honest i probably couldn't find it on the map
0: it's above greece if i recall
1: correctly nerd, i don't I would think i know
0: exactly where north macedonia is it's above greece so jake you're welcome. you let's... might you might
1: know
2: have well, they always thank you been... mr
1: smart guy why don't you make me feel a little more dumb <laughs> i think macedonia
2: i i believe wasn't there um the footballing federations were different not that long ago i think within the past 5 10 years um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Jen. I believe before it was just Macedonia. It wasn't North Macedonia.
0: It was that was like a whole political thing. I believe Greece became the legal successors to Macedonia, and they kept the name Macedonia. And then North Macedonia had to um, had to call themselves North Macedonia. Uh, I I don't know exactly what it is, but
2: something like that, kind of like Serbia and Montenegro were its own federation as recently as like 2006 Mm -hmm. uh, before they separated. I don't know that. Yeah, there's all kinds of uh, crazy political stuff and, you know, geographical history. But maybe we can get research ahead of this uh, massive clash, Mm -hmm. Georgia and North Macedonia. Maybe we'll be experts by then.
1: Hop on that, Tom. Why don't you take the next six hours or so, dig into it, and file so reports. I, I will. I absolutely have will.
0: For you, so I'm looking at the Wikipedia page. Oh, here we go. For here we go. Greece, uh, the country consists of nine traditional geographic regions. One of them is Macedonia. And fun fact: apparently, the official name of Greece is the Hellenic Republic. Something I never knew up until just this moment, which I think is funny. It's just like how most people didn't know that the full state full name of the state of Rhode Island was the state of Rhode Island and the Providence Plantations. It's tech it was technically the longest name for any state in the US, but they voted to take that Providence Plantations off Their official state name and seal, and all of that, in the most recent uh, U.S. elections. So. There's just another fun fact for you that I only know because I'm an idiot that likes to stay up until four o'clock in the morning on a Wikipedia uh, wormhole just looking through different things all the time. So
2: BPW listeners are getting it all. Yeah. They are getting the most. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. They're just giving everybody so much. Of
0: course they are. So it'll be fun to see all of those games. All of them are Thursday. Um, so best of luck to all of the teams that I picked, and not any of the ones that Chuck picked, unless of course that, unless of course we both picked the same ones. Uh, that is going to be all for us for now. We are going to take about a week or so off until Bayern plays their next Bundesliga game against Werder Bremen. And that is a little while off. So until then, please be sure to like, rate, share, subscribe, and download us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your quality audio content. Follow us on Twitter at The Barrel Blog, at Jefferson Fenner, at Tommy Adams71, and at Bavarian FB Works. You can also find all of our latest and greatest content online at BavarianFootballWorks.com. So for all of us here, thank you very much for listening. And until next time. When we cover that Bundesliga match, as I mentioned, we will see you all later. Auf Wiedersehen.